Welcome to Tuber Talk, Canada's potato podcast. Tuber Talk is produced by Potatoes in Canada magazine. You've tuned in to hear about the people and the ideas making a difference in the Canadian potato industry. Before we start, Eugenia Banks with the Ontario Potato Board is bringing her annual training day online to ensure scouts and growers are prepared for the upcoming season. Potatoes in Canada is hosting the three-part scouting series on diseases, insects, and physiological disorders on May 21st and May 28th. Visit potatoesincanada.com webinars to sign up. Hi everyone, I'm Stephanie Gordon, your host and the editor of Potatoes in Canada magazine. For today's episode, I'm going to be bringing it back to late January when I was in Brandon for Manitoba's Potato Production Days. There, I caught up with one of the speakers who traveled all the way from Prince Edward Island to present on what crops island growers were adding to the rotation. This was a trial we did with a grower a couple of years ago. Um, so his primary concern was looking at uh, effect of some of these crops, some of these rotations on wireworm damage. You'll see that in the... So uh, my name is Ryan Barrett. I'm the uh, research and agronomy specialist with the Prince Edward Island Potato Board. And what do you do in that role? I coordinate research projects with growers and other research partners, both provincially and nationally, um, but a big part of my role is leading agronomy um, field trials and extension projects with growers, um, all based around improving marketable yield um, in processing potatoes particularly, um, while also paying attention to economic and environmental sustainability metrics. So trying to do things that are both improving total yields, but also improving bottom lines and uh, you know uh, treating the environment well as well. And you work based out of Prince Edward Island mm -hmm. or PEI. What is the potato environment like in that province? So Prince Edward Island is the largest potato growing province in Canada. Uh, we have a long history of growing potatoes. We generally, most growers, grow potatoes in a three-year rotation. And uh, for the last 15-20 years, we've probably seen a stagnant yield improvement despite a lot of really good things and improvements in and profitability or improvements in production practices that growers have been making. We haven't been seeing the improvement in yields that we would like to see and we think that quite a bit of that is probably down to um, soil health and soil disease issues. So um, we're putting a lot of focus on improving soil organic matter, soil compaction, um, reducing tillage, and using disease suppressive cover crops uh, or soil building crops to help manage things like verticillium, uh, root lesion nematodes, wireworms, um, common scab, some of the big factors in terms of reducing yields in BEI. And you mentioned that growers do a three-year rotation. What, aside from potatoes, is in, in that rotation? Historically, that rotation was usually potatoes followed by small grains like wheat or barley, and then underseeded with a forage crop like red clover and grasses. But we're starting to see that change quite a bit now um, because we've seen red clover generally has been associated with some issues with, um, with some of these soil-borne diseases. It looks like it's multiplying or making some of those issues worse. So we've, uh, we've had a lot of growers replacing red clover with uh, other um, crops like mustard, buckwheat, 
sorghum sudan grass, pearl millet, multi-species mixes, other forages like alfalfa. And then we're also seeing some diversification in our cash cropping. So we're seeing more peas and grain corn and soybeans and some other cash crops beyond just barley. Okay, so let's talk about that. You mentioned some pest concerns, wireworm, things like that. What would you say are probably like the top pest concerns that you're seeing in PI right now? Probably the two biggest ones would be wireworm and uh, verticillium wilt or early dying. So wireworm is a particular impact in the eastern central part of Prince Edward Island. It's not the same level of problem in the over the whole province, but where it is of really high levels and where it's a particular concern, it's really very very big issue and so that's where growers have adapted and changed the rotations probably the most to try and help that. All growers are probably dealing with uh, verticillium and nematodes and early dying and so uh, some more than others and some rotations more than others but uh, that would probably be the next biggest disease or pest challenge that they're dealing with. So let's go through the list of crops that people can plant. What are you seeing in terms of the effectiveness of mustard? So mustard, again, it, it's, um, it's a little bit in how you manage it and a little bit on what your biggest challenge is. We've seen, we've got multiple years of study that have shown that mustard grown as a green manure crop or grown just as a cover crop has an impact on reducing wireworm damage. So um, we have quite a few people using mustard for those reasons. It also, mustards have been, and other brassicas have been shown uh, to have an impact on verticillium and nematode numbers and early dying when used as a green manure. But there's a, we're also seeing there's a difference between brown mustard and then um, mustard species that are specifically bred for high glucosinolate and, and specifically bred for um, biofumigation. So we kind of say um, if you're looking to impact wireworm, probably brown mustard is where you would go. And if it's more, if your concern is more early dying, then probably one of the other sort of caliente or hot mustard, so those type of high, high biomass mustard crops is probably where you would go. You say green manure a lot. Can mm-hmm. you just explain, clarify. yeah, clarify so what you So green manure, by that we mean you're incorporating that crop into the ground when it's still green. So, so with say mustard, at about 60 days after planting when it's at peak foliage and about at peak flowering, um, then you would mow it and incorporate it into the ground all at once because in that case most of those beneficial chemicals, most of those beneficial compounds, the glucosinolates, are in the foliage. So you're going to, when that's at a maximum, you're going to mo- till it into the ground and then once it goes into the ground through, ac- you know, in combination with water, it cre- creates a gas called isothiocyanate, which is basically acts as a fumigant within the soil. So specifically for mustards, that's what it, why they would call it green manuring biofumigation. You can green manure any crop and by tilling it into the ground green, some crops seem to have more benefit than others. But in some cases we're seeing definite benefits from green manuring, but green manuring also comes with another tillage pass, probably a mowing pass plus a tillage pass, so it's more times over the ground, there's more expense, and with every tillage event you have a chance of you know soil compaction and uh, you know soil degradation, lowering organic matter. So we have a lot of growers who they're using green manuring for their worst fields and then for say their moderate fields or, or other fields then they're looking more at a cover cropping system like Sudan grass or buckwheat where you don't have to do the tillage but you're still getting beneficial effect by those crops growing. Okay and so what is the efficacy that you're seeing with buckwheat? 
Uh, buckwheat has been performing fairly similarly to mustard uh, for wireworm control. Um, buckwheat, I wouldn't say, is, is as uh, beneficial for, say, early dying, um, but for wireworm control and for making the ground mellow and um, soil structure, um, it seems to be having an effect. And buckwheat also has a reputation as a good weed fighter as well. And in your presentation, you said that growers really like planting potatoes after buckwheat because the um, soil is more mellow and it's, and it's very nice. What has the feedback been from growers for mustard, buckwheat, all these type of crops? Actually, all of these crops, all of these sort of, uh, I'm going to biofumigate or green manure crops are generally associated with improving soil structure and, and improving soil tilth. And so after mustard, buckwheat, sedan grass, all those crops generally, uh, the ground's easier to work. Um, I have growers telling me that, um, that are doing a lot of these type of crops that say that they're even, you know, they're saving money on their tillage equipment in terms of, you know, less, uh, having to change teeth less often and things like that, so less wearing. Some of those benefits are sometimes hard to capture, but there is, there is a benefit to that. Mm -hmm. And um, sedan grass, mm -hmm. what has been the efficacy of that? So we're still fairly new at uh, both, I'm going to say sedan grass and pearl millet. They're very similar crops. They're grown similarly. They act similarly. But we have some growers that have three or four years under the belt with that. It does seem from both some work done by Agriculture Canada as well as through our AIM initiative that it is associated with yield improvement, um, probably somewhere between 10 to 15 percent yield improvement. And we think that that's due to a combination of beneficial impact on verticillium and nematodes, Sudan grass for verticillium and, and uh, pearl millet for nematodes. And then, but there's also benefits in terms of building soil organic matter, improving soil structure, reducing compaction, those sorts of things. When it comes to planting a forage crop, uh, is there a market in PEI for forages? There is a, some market for forages. Usually it comes, you wouldn't grow forages to just sell on an open market type of thing. But if you, we have quite a few growers that, you know, trade land or rent land with cattle producers. Those cattle producers need a certain amount of silage or hay for their, for their cattle. And so, you know, we have quite a few growers that would be, you know, they're trying to find a rotation that works good for them in terms of improving their potato crop, but also provides those beef or dairy producers with silage and hay and those sorts of things. So um, sedan grass and pearl millet can be easily harvested as a silage, makes it is high digestibility is a good is a good feed. So it can have that impact and it can it can have that value as a forage crop, but it also has an impact on improving soil health and soil tilth, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. And we talked about buckwheat, mustards, you mentioned in your presentation multi-species mixes. Mm -hmm. So when people mix a bunch of different crops, yep. is there is there is it efficient to do it that way, or is are you just trying to do too much? I'm going to reserve judgment on that a little bit. I'm we're we're participating in a couple of research projects right now where we're trying to assess, we're trying to compare multi-species mixes against you know one or two crop systems so we're, we're still kind of trying to figure that out I think crop diversity is very important and there's a lot of value to that but I guess what we're trying to figure out is is three or four crops as good as 12 or 15 so we have some research ongoing with Agriculture Canada and, and through our AIM initiative with the board where we're trying to kind of figure that out a little bit but generally what I've been trying to talk to with growers about is make sure that the choice that you make of a multi-species mix don't try and do everything maybe in one go and try and figure out what again what your biggest challenge is and pick crops for that mixture that are probably the most suited for your challenges and also ensure that 
you don't have something in that mixture that might be making the situation worse. So there's a lot of these multi-species mixes that have clovers in them, um, particularly red clover. And we have seen through some of our trials in PEI that red clover is bad for verticillium, nematodes, common scab, some of these other things. So we're trying to say, okay, yeah, there's, there's definitely crops that are, do a good job and that help with things, but make sure you don't have something else in the mixture that's maybe counteracting what you're trying to do. So just being, understanding what your choices are, what you have, and then, um, you know, having, building your crop rotation and building your mixture to suit that. Mm -hmm. And what have been some of the questions that you have received from growers about this topic? I get a lot of questions, a lot of questions about the economics of it, uh, you know, the fact that you're having a year where you're not getting a cash crop in a lot of cases. We have a lot of questions about, you know, best management practices like seeding rate and um, when, you, when you should incorporate, uh, when you should mow, when you should do a lot of those types of things. So we're, we're, we're still working our way through that as well. We have a lot of field trials with growers where we're trying to kind of assess that and trying to build that library of best management practices for these crops. But I think a lot of people, these are new crops to a lot of people, so we're just still, we're still trying to kind of build that uh, expertise and, and share as much as we can in terms of the, you know, what we've learned. And I asked this question to Bob Larkin too, and he does very similar research to you about disease uh, suppressive crops. And what they asked him was, if you're a grower and you're trying something new, like you're planting buckwheat for the first time, how long, I guess, would you stick with it before you start to see the effects? Because I find with a lot of soil health measures, it takes yeah. quite a bit of time to start seeing the effects. So again, it depends a little bit on what you're trying to address. If it's something like wireworm or, or early dying and you're using a green manure crop or, or one of these sort of disease suppressive crops, you may see benefit in one year. You may see, we've, we've definitely seen tangible benefit in, after one season of that if grown directly before potatoes. If you're growing crops that are more targeted around improving soil organic matter and improving soil structure and mitigating compaction and all those types of things, that may take longer. That may take two or three rotations to really see the benefit of that. So in those cases, yeah, you may have to stick with it a little bit longer to really see the benefit, but you may start seeing some things. You might start seeing, you know, disease levels are a little, a little lower. You may start seeing, you know, your compaction levels are a little lower, organic matters are a little higher, those sorts of things, but it, that's a cumulative approach. And improving soil health is not a one-year endeavor, it's usually a multi-year, multi-rotation endeavor, but for things like disease suppression, that can, you can see benefits of that in one year, but possibly in two or three rotations you would see even more benefit. Yeah, it, it takes a long time to see the benefits of this. But, you know, from my experience, you know, covering potatoes and in PEI, you had a very difficult harvest. I think it, it wasn't this year, maybe the year before. So a harvest like that where it's very difficult and, you know, you can't really work the ground, you have compaction concerns, it's also super wet. What type of tactics have you seen growers do to kind of adapt with a very, very wet season or a very, very wet spring or just kind of very difficult growing uh, seasons and still keeping up with their goals for soil health building, disease yep. suppression? So uh, one of the things uh, that we're working a lot with growers is changing timing of tillage a bit. So we're advocating less late fall tillage uh, and increasing more um, tillage in the summer or early fall where there's more opportunity to establish a cover crop. There's more opportunity to uh, get the ground covered so we're, we're not having the same issues with erosion and nitrate leaching. So that's associated with improving soil health. 
but that can be done at a time when they're not as busy. So it's getting some of that tillage done in say August, September, as opposed to when they're digging potatoes or afterwards. The other thing would be when it comes to, um, you know, we have challenging falls with challenging harvest periods and uh, that's economically challenging to growers and you know in some cases the yields are lower because we've had you know we haven't had rain in the summer and so there's challenges with that as well so then people say well how what are the economics of you know taking a year at, in your rotation and not getting a cash crop off of it so we're trying to again work with growers and you know not necessarily doing the same thing in every field targeting their crop rotation on a, maybe a field by field basis or you know parts of the farm that you know are the most challenged and then suiting the crop rotation to fit that. So the field that has the worst wireworm issues, you're going to treat differently than the field with that you always get the best crop off of. The field that you always get the best crop off of and it's generally healthy, you may be able to grow a cash crop there every year and just do more cover cropping to keep your soil organic matters good, keep your soil health you know, positive. Areas that are continually your worst performing fields and have definite challenges with early dying and wireworm and soil compaction, those are things, then those, that's where we have to maybe write a prescription a little more as to what's the w best way to improve that field. And in that case, the investment of a year of rotation crops or soil building crops may yield more improvement than having a cash crop in that field. The, the net margin improvement in your potato yield may be far greater than you would have got by growing a crop of barley or soybeans or something. Mm -hmm. Do you see that growers are very enthusiastic to adopt these practices? What, what's the kind of the vibe that you see with trying something new? Generally, it's probably the topic I get the most questions about, and it's the on Prince Edward Island, and it's the topic that the growers are probably the most engaged in. Uh, we just had a series of local meetings with growers where we discussed a lot of these sort of things last week and got very strong attendance at them. We've seen a lot of growers diversifying the rotations. Ten years ago, you would have said in PEI that, you know, you know, a lot of potatoes were on a very similar rotation of potatoes, barley, and forage. I would say now the majority of acres in PEI are not on that rotation. They're on a, some different rotation, and everybody's got a different rotation, and they have multiple rotations on the same farm. So I think there are a lot of growers being very proactive about trying different things, seeing what works for them. Now, as you can tell, this is where the background noise got a little too loud. Okay. Yeah, there doesn't seem to be a quiet corner in this uh, conference, which it's fine because it's going to... I do still want to help finish Ryan's point about what he would say to growers looking to change things up. He said he's a big advocate of not changing everything overnight. He said, take a field, split it, try different things and see how it works. Experiment and then assess. If something worked for you, you can increase it for next year. Then... Being from Ontario, I also asked him how would he describe the potato growing community in PEI? We have a very engaged and innovative group of growers who are definitely looking to do anything they can to improve their production and to try new things and to uh, work together. And um, my program, uh, the program that I'm involved in, this Agronomy Initiative for Marketable Yield, or AIM, um, is a partnership with the growers uh, and it's grower-led. So all of our projects are inspired by the growers, directed by the growers, and responding directly to the needs of the growers. So that's where we are, you know, every time we pick a project or an extension project or a speakers for seminars, it's very much responding to what the growers want. And then we've 
started doing more instead of just big conferences we started doing more like local meetings where we bring in speakers on one topic to talk about specific issues and in those meetings we get more conversation and collaboration between firms and uh, you know I'm trying this how are you trying that and a little bit more conversation and I think that's healthy as well so generally I would say we have a I have a great group of growers to work for uh, and they're uh, they're very engaged in improving uh, their production practices and potatoes has such a legacy on the island too so even you know adding something new trying something new it's all so you can keep the potatoes growing in the long term. So what would be your, if you could say anything to a PI grower right now who's like on the fence about trying something new or kind of worried about the upcoming season or, you know, looking into things, is there anything that you would say? I guess I would say what I always say and that's try something small to start, see how it works and then go further, you know, as we go along. Listen to your fellow, listen to fellow growers, listen to people in, you know, researchers and extension people um, that, that have been doing this work both on a plot scale and a field scale, and then try and see what might work for you, might work for your farm, and give it a try. But always, always have a check strip <laughs> and always try and really ascertain after one year what was the impact, and then decide whether or not that's something you want to continue for another year, expand, decrease, that sort of thing. Okay. Well, thank you so much. No problem. Before we end... Please remember that if you want a refresher on potato diseases, insects, and physiological disorders, sign up for the webinar series happening on May 21st and 28th with potato specialist Eugenia Banks at potatoesincanada.com slash webinars. Thank you for listening to Tuber Talk. Canada's Potato Podcast. Catch up on all of our other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts or online at potatoesincanada.com slash podcast.